We're back, and it's a pleasure to say we are joined by one of our favorite guests. His name is Charles Sam Faddis. He has an extraordinary record of service to our country um, over decades, uh, including as an officer in the United States Army, as a clandestine services officer in the Central Intelligence Agency for some 20 years, as a deputy attorney general in Washington state, and as a candidate for Congress, uh, the author of uh, a number of books, uh, both fiction and nonfiction, including Beyond Repair, the decline and fall of the Central Intelligence Agency. Sam Faddis is also the driving force on an absolutely indispensable online resource called andmagazine.com. And we always are interested in examining with him and with you um, some of the findings of that um, research and analysis, and we're going to do that today. Sam Fattis, welcome back to Secure Freedom Radio. It's so good to have you, sir. Great to be here, Frank. Thank you. Um, you really caught my eye uh, and in a way contributed to my own um, commentary on the subject today, uh, namely with your essay about can we vaccinate our way out of this pandemic, uh, which is what basically we are now being hectored to believe that not only is that the only way um, that we can uh, get out of this pandemic, but that um, we have to redouble the effort um, with any number of booster shots that are now going to be required of us. Um, not just the first two of these, um, well, gene therapies that uh, are now described as vaccines by our government. Talk through what you've come to understand about what's going on here, Sam, and uh, and its implications. Well, the reality is that it's pretty simple. I mean, the virus, these kinds of virus, the COVID viruses mutate at an astonishingly rapid rate. They mutate much faster than we can develop new vaccines. So by the time you have developed a vaccine for any variant of this virus, that virus is essentially extinct and we have moved, moved on to subsequent uh, mutations and therefore the vaccine is useless. Um, so you're vaccinating against a virus that is extinct. The other thing to keep in mind here is that because of the way these vaccines work, and there is some dispute as to whether they should even be called vaccines, they provide at best a very narrow immunity against the specific strain of the virus for which they were, that they were designed to counter. So they do not confer the equivalent, anything like the equivalent of natural immunity. If you get COVID, and you are exposed to COVID and you recover from it, your body effectively, using layman's terms, acquires this broad immunity. It will very rapidly recognize future variants and you will fight it off and you will have natural immunity as we have come to understand it in the course of our daily lives against other diseases. The vaccines don't work that way. So if you got vaccinated against alpha or delta or whatever, that's the only variant really against which you have immunity. And therefore, as the virus mutates, it's really easier to think of it as turning into another disease almost. You have no immunity. And you can see this um, in, in, I mean, you can see the reality of this, even as authorities kind of pretend that that's not the case, you can see in their actions that they understand this fully. So recently when this Omicron 
variant appeared in Southern Africa that everybody's up in arms about whether they should be or not. One of the first states on the planet, nation states on the planet to lock down and cut off travel to Southern uh, Africa was Israel, the most vaccinated nation on earth. So virtually everybody in Israel has been vaccinated and yet instantaneously they recognized that that vaccine would confer no protection against the new variant. So no, we cannot vaccinate our way out of this. The only way out of this is the acquisition of natural immunity by most of the population. Now, Sam, again, both of us are lay people. You've you've been uh, closely following these uh, developments uh, and I think have as a result of, um, a considerable amount of insight. My understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that it would be bad enough if the vaccines are not helpful as the virus mutates. Um, but there seems to be some basis for concern that, in fact, you may be worse off having been vaccinated, um, that your immune system may have been suppressed in ways that would make more uh, devastating, potentially, these diseases as they evolve, um, and your less and less capable of contending with them. Is that right based on your own research and that the people you're yeah, talking to? Yeah, and I should add that I'm not just sort of doing this, you know, this is not just sort of my opinion as a lay guy that sat around and read some articles on the internet. I mean, this is based on consultation with a lot of people, including Dr. Hatfield, who is, you know, the guy who wrote our pandemic response plan which was completely disregarded when the pandemic started, one of our top guys in biodefense. So there are exactly the issue you've outlined. There's also a growing body of evidence, of course, that we're having some serious negative health effects on people from taking the vaccine, including serious heart problems. There's also Qu another quite apart here. Quite apart from these mutations. Because you're saying we're just not acquiring natural immunity. The condition. Uh, as a population, and because the virus can continuously find ways around the narrow immunity the vaccine gives, as it mutates, it may in fact become much more dangerous and much more lethal. So if you were exposed to the original variant, as I was, you went through weeks of malaise and coughing and it wasn't fun, but you, you recovered. If the virus in fact becomes more dangerous as it goes along, as these variants continue to appear. And if you've been vaccinated, but have no natural immunity, what you're going to then experience potentially is, is exposure to one of what could be uh, much more lethal strains of the virus without natural immunity. So we, we don't, I should emphasize that this is not Cut, this is not carved in stone. As the virus mutates, it also may become weaker. In fact, Omicron actually seems to be less dangerous, if you will. But there are also projections that the virus could mutate in ways where we approach 30% lethality, something on the order of smallpox. And if that actually happens, if, big capital letters, if, and you're now having that variant rage through a population that still doesn't have natural immunity, then you will have actually created a true pandemic, a true disaster. 
So in all respects, this reliance on vaccination is is horribly misguided. And and again, <clears throat> excuse me. And again, it's not just vaccination. It is this insistence that everybody must be vaccinated and that they must be vaccinated with, um, well, the first of what I think it's reasonable to expect will be a series of booster shots, don't you? Especially as we chase various uh, uh, variants of this uh, disease. What what you're looking at if you continue down this this road of this focus on vaccination is uh, they call them boosters, but they're not boosters. It's a new vaccination. You're you are chasing your tail endlessly. You are attempting to get ahead of the cycle by vaccinating, revaccinating, revaccinating, but you can't ever scientifically match the speed with which the virus mutates. So you will do this forever. And there is in fact now discussion uh, being trotted out seriously that essentially everybody's gonna have to be vaccinated every three months. So (laughs) we've gone from the representation that we would get vaccinated, the pandemic would be over and we would move on to a situation in which the pandemic will never end. We will have perpetuated it by virtue of this. And obviously there are very powerful interests pushing that. Big Pharma is set to make more money than they have ever even contemplated making. And those folks who have an interest in sort of just stomping all over your constitutional rights and expanding dramatically the scope of government power this is a godsend for them. They, for the rest of time, they can suppress all of your constitutional rights, claiming that this is the only way we can survive this pandemic. This, this was the subject of my commentary, Sam, and I just wonder, uh, you've written about uh, something that Pastor Steve Ciccolanti shared with us yesterday, uh, namely the extreme that now is in evidence in this regard uh, in terms of controlling a population. Uh, in Australia. Um, Talk a bit about what is happening down under that uh, may be a very ominous foreshadowing of what similarly minded politicians uh, would like to do here. Well, literally in Australia, we're now seeing the emergence of what amount to concentration camps. I mean, internment camps where you move populations that are, you know, deemed that are deemed unsafe, uh, which is which is insane, which is the plot of a really bad novel had you written it five years ago. And yet this is the reality in a liberal democratic country that we think on, think of as, you know, a fellow nation coming out of the English common law uh, tradition. I, I would also add, and again, this is one of the, another one of those things that you and I talk about all the time that kind of sounds like it should be science fiction, and yet it's reality. Once you establish this predicate, which we are rapidly doing, that you can simply throw out the Constitution by declaring a health emergency, then anything else you label as a health emergency will also command that, I mean, you'll also be able to justify the same measures. And already, this is not not kidding, you can see all over the web articles appearing that climate change also constitutes a health emergency. Now, once you've decided that you none of your constitutional rights matter if it's a health emergency, well, then it would apply to anything else. So the government will now tell you what kind of automobile you can drive, how far you can drive it, if you can drive it at all, what the temperature is in your house, presumably 
anything else they can conceivably connect to climate change will now be declared a health emergency. And there's probably no end to the, the number of things that they can attach that label to. I mean, it's a basic legal principle. Once we've established the precedent that you don't have any constitutional rights, if the government says you don't, well, then they're gone. And probably permanently, needless to say. Um, Sam, I think you've been participating in uh, a very important project of our Committee on the Present Danger, China, uh, with our colleague uh, Reggie Littlejohn and her Women's Rights Without Frontiers. It's called the Stop Vaccine Passports. Uh, task force. And one of the reasons we've been so concerned about uh, the flip side of the mandates for these vaccines, uh, namely that there has to be an enforcement mechanism, is that it's a very short step, uh, if any, really, uh, to a full-on Chinese Communist Party-style social credit system that would be instituted in this country. And if, if you talk about the kind of controlling of behavior and actions and freedoms that you've just described, um, whether it's for medical reasons or um, the so-called uh, public health implications of climate change, this is a mechanism that can actually give the government the power to exercise that kind of uh, restraint on us and, and uh, as you say, permanently crush our freedoms. Um, is that overstating the danger we face in this regard? No, it, it, it's, it's not at all. And, and this adaptation of, of Chinese methodology, we've already seen, lockdowns were, have, were never part of any national pandemic plan. No one ever contemplated, discussed, or suggested the idea of locking down a healthy population. There were discussion of quarantining specific people who were sick with a communicable disease to keep them away from the healthy population. Nobody ever suggested, ever, in American pandemic planning, the idea, the insane idea of locking down a healthy population. It is a Chinese Communist Party methodology they employed when this virus appeared in their country. And then in lockstep, our bureaucracy and our politicians take that Chinese methodology and apply it. That is fact. And and we're about, you know, one heartbeat away from turning this this focus on max vax mandates into a full-blown Chinese social credit system where you won't be able to move anywhere, do anything, buy anything uh, without being tracked by the government. And if you haven't complied with their edicts, i.e. gotten a, a vax, you don't have that ability. You can't travel. You won't go through a toll booth anymore. You won't board a train a plane, get a job, buy groceries, your credit cards won't work. That's that's all technologically possible right now. And well, more than that, it's being practiced in China right now, which, which brings me to my next topic with you, Sam. And you've written about this in various ways for some time now. Um, and you've done, by the way, heroic work uh, documenting these concerns. It's not just sort of your uh, off the top of your head uh, 
apprehension. Uh, you have researched um, both what we know to this point about President Biden uh, and his deep compromise by the Chinese Communist Party and what we've been seeing in terms of his policies on the one hand and his personnel choices on the other. I think about the latter, you've said uh, he's, a, he's basically put into place uh, Xi Jinping's dream team. And you have sort of pulled all of this together in a, in a new piece at And Magazine uh, yesterday entitled, Do We Have a Chinese Spy in the White House? And I'd like you to just take a few minutes to walk us through the answer to that question, as you see. Well, um, so I mean, let me let me approach this sort of through the lens of of Hunter Biden's laptop, right? Hunter Biden's laptop gets abandoned at this repair place, and it sort of surfaces in the run up to the election uh, of 2020, and it is filled with evidence of a gigantic uh, influence peddling machine for which Hunter Biden is the bag man and which connects him, the, the Biden family in general, the Biden crime family to hostile authoritarian regimes all over the world. Uh, it's kind of buried by the press because they just don't want to talk about this and because it can obviously derail Joe's campaign. Some media outlets like the New York Post never stopped talking about it to their credit, most did. Now it's sort of percolating back to the surface. But what I try to point out in the most re recent article of the End Magazine is, okay, so now we're sort of focusing on the sordid stories of Hunter Biden and prostitutes and drugs. And now we're beginning to talk about the fact that Hunter himself is obviously horribly corrupt and awash in foreign money. And what we're still missing is, to me, the biggest piece of this, which is, overwhelmingly most of this money that ends up in the hands of the Bidens comes from the communist Chinese, from the Chinese Communist Party. And it comes to them through a series of companies and individuals directly tied to Chinese leadership and directly involved in Chinese intelligence activities. And for instance, the CEFC, this, this energy company that people may have heard about, which is really nothing but a front organization for what's called Chinese United Front activities, which are well-known, well-documented, real activities by the Chinese to execute what they call leadership capture or elite capture. It is the co-opting, buying, and controlling of foreign leaders so they will then do the bidding of the Chinese. Not science fiction, documented. The FBI has talked about this endlessly. Everybody knows this is reality. And a number of these folks, including some of them who, with whom the Bidens were in direct contact, have in fact been convicted and sent to prison for intelligence activities doing exactly this. So what, the real issue here is that we have the Biden family, which includes Joe, clearly, by virtue of this evidence, directly involved with Chinese intelligence and taking money from entities tied directly to Chinese intelligence. They weren't giving that money out of the goodness of their heart. They weren't just throwing it away. They were buying something, which means we got a guy sitting in the Oval Office who has taken, depending on how you want to count it, literally billions of dollars 
from the Chinese Communist Party, from entities that we can document are part of their united front activities and that we know for sure have the express purpose of buying and controlling foreign leaders. This is the biggest counterintelligence issue we have ever faced because potentially we have a foreign agent sitting in the White House. And yet, as far as I can tell, our entire counterintelligence apparatus and law enforcement apparatus is just pretending like they can't see any of this and ignoring the implication. And focusing instead on the so-called domestic terrorism threat of uh, Absolutely. Got to arrest the school board moms. Those are a threat. Yeah. Sam, again, you've spent most of your professional life in the business of intelligence, uh, dealing with extremely sensitive operations and secrets and capabilities that um, are central to the defense of our nation. Um, you've done it at great personal risk and sacrifice, and uh, we owe you an enormous debt of gratitude for that. Uh, most of it will never be properly understood, let alone acknowledged, of course, but still, it gives you a vantage point for doing a damage assessment on what the implications of this could be. Um, I, I keep coming back to something that just, you know, strikes me again, more or less as a layman, as appalling, which is the possibility that, you know, basically Joe Biden in these interminable conversations with Xi Jinping uh, is uh, actually taking dictation as to what Xi expects him to do next. Um, and whether those conversations uh, contributed to his policies on Afghanistan or his policies on the South China Sea or his policies on uh, climate change or heavens knows what all else, certainly his, his personnel choices. Uh, this is a way of trying to make somewhat more tangible what you just said, which is, you know, this is a huge counterintelligence disaster. Uh, potentially. And I, I just would ask you to just further reflect very quickly, because we're almost out of time, on on how serious the repercussions could be for our country if this is indeed the case, that there's a, a Manchurian president, as you say, in the Oval Office. Well, world-changing, catastrophic. I mean, is there any limit to how bad this can be? Grab a hold of the Taiwan situation. We have the, Ty uh, you know, just the inc aerial incursions are dramatically increasing almost almost daily. Anybody on is there anybody on the planet who can seriously look at what, this evidence and and, the, that it, and what we have just talked about and tell me that they seriously believe that if the Chinese take an effort to blockade Taiwan, invade Taiwan, that Joe Biden is going to do anything meaningful? Absolutely not. And you can look all over the world at, at, at any catastrophe you can imagine and see that he, he's not going to lift a finger. I mean, when we're done we're with going this, to have to explore this further with you. situation be changed. Yeah. Uh, in the near future, Sam Fattis, I hope it'll be next week. And in the meantime, I thank you so much for what you've given to us today. Keep up the great work, my friend, at annmagazine.com. Follow him there, folks, and follow us to our next show next well, tomorrow, same time, same station. Until then, this is Frank Gaffney. Thanks for listening.